Welcome on into the two three podcast. I am Cam. That is Zach. Episode five of season two. I am sad. We are sad, and you are sad. Edition. We are very sad. I think that might be the least energetic intro you've ever given on the show, <laughs> and, and that's saying something. It's up there. I, I went into the Illinois game that just happened about a couple hours ago, and I didn't have too many expectations. I always thought that that was pretty healthy whenever you go into these games, Zach, with not too many expectations, especially if the team hasn't been doing the greatest. And uh, yeah, I was greeted with a very bad loss. It was not fun to watch. It was not fun to witness. And uh, it made me die a little bit on the inside. A 44-73 to loss against the 16th-ranked Illinois uh, Illini, which is such a stupid name. But, I mean, they already killed us, Zach, so we can't really make fun of their name too much. Yeah, credit to them. And this one really did hit you in the gut. I'm, uh, just the culmination of things that happened throughout the game and just the three-game losing streak we're now on. It just hurts, and it's a bummer that we're in this position, but... Here we are, and we're going to talk about it, so buckle up. <laughs> so the last time that we had talked to you guys, it was a while ago. We do not like to leave too much space between episodes, but unfortunately, Thanksgiving break happened, and the last time that we talked to you all was the Colgate loss, which was very rough to take. But since then, the Orange have gone two and three. Two decent wins, one against Northeastern, which was kind of a tune-up game, and then an OT thriller against Richmond kind of get us ready for Brooklyn and get us set. And then after that, Zach, it was just kind of uh, like the drop in a roller coaster, except we just keep dropping and you're just waiting for it to kind of go back up. Yeah, it started off with the the little misstep we had in overtime against St. John's. That was a bummer. We had a chance to win that regulation. Obviously, everyone knows this, but just a little recap for everybody. One highlight, though, I want to make sure we highlight is Moo was a blocking machine. Seven against St. John's. That was that was a really good stat. Yeah, and when Jesse keeps getting into foul trouble, which is like a recurrence that has happened his entire career, and I'm not really sure what the heck is going on there, but it's nice to have that backup for him. And one of the things that we had discussed in the preseason was who's going to be the backup center for this team. And it's clear that Manir Hima is that guy. And when he was out against Bryant, which we'll get to in just a second, you could definitely tell that that was lacking. There was a huge gap that was there. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have him in the lineup when he's he's healthy and ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And overall, St. John's, we talked about this before we pushed record, but overall it felt like a good loss, a good of the losses you can have. So overall, you take that L. Obviously, we wish you could have had the W there, but overall, I think you take that L. And then we got to go on to the bad, the very, very, very bad. And that was the Bryant loss. It was a 72-73 to loss. I, I want to avoid this as much as possible, but we just need to talk about it. The whole altercation between Doug and Judah was not fun. What the heck was that? Like, what was going on there? Why did Doug run away? I love that Judah was just stone-faced the entire time, but, like, you can't have that in a game. Your temper has to be in check at that point. Yeah, it was a whole lot of bad, and I was thinking, when's the last time we've had anything 
remotely. Obviously, this wasn't a full-out brawl, but this was, you know, benches were cleared, assistant coaches came out. Like, this was, like, a pretty intense thing. You know, people, like, hit each other in the face. Like, when's the last time Syracuse has ever been involved in something like this? I personally don't remember, and I don't want it to happen again because I feel like Jim, for all of his setbacks, I guess, when it comes to maybe attitude in a team because every team that we have in Syracuse seems to have kind of the same identity. You know, it's the same, just kind of you go to work, you do your job, maybe have a little bit of fun doing it, but that's kind of it. But for all of the sort of shortcomings when it comes to attitude on a team, one of the positives to that is that you don't have any negative attitude. And if you do, it's pretty usually like tampered down fairly quickly by Jim. So I can't remember the last time if there really has been an altercation within the past like 10 years. I remember maybe Frank Howard having like a get off me moment, but that's kind of it. I really can't think of anything that was to the level of that Bryant game. That was different to to say the least. Yeah, I mean, there was that little buddy mishap Florida State game in the ACC tournament, but that doesn't even amount to anything what this was. I mean, this led to ejections. This led to assistant coaches being ejected from the game. This was quite the game changer. Yeah, and the Bryant coach and Jim had a little word at the end of it, and if you didn't see the presser, it was a lot of, uh, yeah, he he half-heartedly apologized to me, and Jim did not take it, and <laughs> it was par for the course of the Bryant coach, which is what Jim had said, so... It seems like maybe Bryant is a new foe, which I guess is kind of cool, but also like, why are we beefing with Bryant of all teams? They're not bad. They're pretty good, but I don't even know where Bryant is. Do you know where Bryant is? I do not know where Bryant is. I think it's in, in, I'm going to look it up right now, like live as we do this, but it was just a a not fun game. Oh, it's in Rhode Island, Smithfield, Rhode Island. Well, nothing much good comes out of Rhode Island. Anyways, Justin Taylor was definitely like a shining star in this game. 25 points. He went off and it was something that we needed from either Justin or Chris Bell. And we got it from Justin. No, this was a major shining light that we saw from our guy, Justin Taylor. You know, we saw glimmers of this. We saw some aspirations of this. But with Brian being so... On to Jesse and a struggling Joe. Justin was able to find his spots and get open, and he erupted for 25 points, which is, he came out of nowhere. I'm not sure what his season or career high was before that, but, you know, nothing compared to 25. So hats off to him. It was glad to see him get going. And it was really in a game that we needed him to get going. I felt like it was going to be one of those games where, out of nowhere, somebody's going to be coming to save us. And it was Justin Taylor, and he got three rebounds, which I know that Jim has said that forwards need to start rebounding. So I guess that that's a positive stat. And it really came out of nowhere, and it was like, man, you know, maybe... I, I was telling my girlfriend this when we were watching it. I said, if we get this win, I'm not going to be happy, but I'm going to feel better. And then the way that we lost it, just made everything feel worse. We had to go shopping after that. Had to go Christmas shopping after that. And my head, Zach, was not in it. I did not want to be there in the store. I wanted to hop on this podcast and I wanted to say how mad I was 
but I couldn't. I was in the middle of a department store, Zach, and it is the holiday season, so you gotta remain positive. I didn't like it, Zach. Not all, not one bit. No, it was it was it was tough to handle the emotions after that loss. It's brutal, right to the gut, and I, I want to hop on to you and say a lot of bad things <laughs> and just voice the frustration that I know everyone is already feeling and is now feeling again with this loss to Illinois, but it was just brutal. And you just, you just hate to lose a game to that, especially after everything went down during that game due to being ejected and everything. Like honestly, like we lost the game at that point, but then we lost it again when we actually lost the game. So it was just tough. I feel like this podcast is the, the best part about it is obviously making the content for for all of you but the second best thing for for zach and i personally is that it's very therapeutic we come on here we talk for a very long time before we hit record sometimes way too long and then we hit record do our thing and then uh, afterwards we talk a little bit after it's very therapeutic for the both of us so whenever we can't record whenever we don't have the time to or the opportunity to it's always like we want to get our voice out there as much as possible because, uh, you know, it's very, very therapeutic for us. And one thing, Zach, that um, I was thinking of, and I know that you were thinking of as well, is these teams like Bryant and Colgate, which were once games where you're going to get decent competition, but it's out of conference. You don't have to worry about it too much. Maybe the walk-ons will get some playing time. These, these teams really know what they're doing now and they're, they're foes that you really can't mess with too much. I think of like a St. Bonaventure as well, who has come in and really like rattled us a little bit. And now Cornell of all teams is doing it too. So it's almost like, you know, what do we do when it comes to scheduling? Do we keep these guys on the schedule? But it's just scary because they almost come in and like do what they want to us. Yeah, these games at one time were clinic games. These are just games you could go in, razzle-dazzle, you know, walk-ons come on. Honestly, I'm at a point where I honestly do not think if we'll see walk-ons this entire season. Yeah. Because of how deep our bench is, how many freshmen we have, how many people could use, you know, that last garbage minutes. When would we ever need to or want to see walk-ons at this point, you know? As much as I would want to, it's just like logistically it just doesn't add up. Right. So I don't know what that means for Syracuse as a program to be, I mean, I do think transfer portal, things are changing things up. You know, guys are coming to, you know, all these like mid-major schools have better and more experienced players, arguably. So maybe that's changing the game a little bit, but maybe that's pointing to where the Syracuse program is too a little bit as well. I know a lot of people are arguing that. So it's definitely a different different time we're in where Colgate is being us two, two, two years in a row and Bryant is also beating us too. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely changing. Everything is changing. And like you said, these teams that we thought were once, I mean, when I saw Cornell on the schedule, I knew that it meant two things. It meant cheap tickets. So you could get tickets for not too expensive and it was going to be an easy win. You go there, you check out the win, maybe get some dinner in Syracuse, and you have a good time. And now it's like Cornell is going to come into the matchup five and one. And are they going to beat us? Like what's going to happen with the, you know, Bryant game? You know, you, you 
go through the entire time thinking, yeah, it'll be an all right game. You know, Bryant's going to be a good opponent, but we're, we're ready for him. And then we just, we didn't look ready from the get-go. Something was wrong. Like, at least with the St. John game, I thought that we played a really good game and it just so happened that St. John's was, was better than us. And it was, it was clear, you know, they, they had more energy at the end and they were able to put up their shots and we just didn't have it. Whereas Bryant and this game against Illinois, something just looks weird. And I don't know if you saw it too, but just something is, is way off for this team. Yeah, and we don't mean to like discredit these programs that are coming in that we quote-unquote should beat, but it's just the high expectations we have for the Syracuse program, the high expectations that the Cuse fandom has for this program, and it just doesn't seem to be lining up to its history. And it's it's something we're not used to, and you know maybe there's, there's something to be looked at there, but it's definitely a new thing, and we're working our way through it. One thing I want to mention before we hop into Illinois' is in the presser after Bryant. Jim said that Judah is the best player on the team, and after after losing him, like that obviously affected us. But he said that Judah is our best player. Do we agree with that? Yes. I, I 100% do agree with you, or with him. And <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with you saying that it came from him. Um, <laughs> you fact-checked? When, yeah, you, I, fa- you, uh, I, I fact-checked it. 2-3 is... Uh, is 100% accurate with their facts. I think when it comes to Judah, he is an incredibly special player. He's very hot and cold right now, which is dangerous for this team, and it's also dangerous for his confidence level right now. And you saw that with Illinois. He was not very good. He was he didn't have his best stuff. But it you can definitely tell that... Based on what he does and based on his presence out there is a pretty good indicator with how the team is doing. And I think as a point guard, he does a lot of stuff that like makes you scratch your head. And it's like, I don't think that you should really be doing that at this level. But he's also got so much potential. The problem is, Zach... I don't know if he can lead this team. And that is my biggest question with him is when you look at a point guard, you look at somebody who can actually hold the pace, who can take charge out there. And I just don't think that he is that guy. I really don't. Not at least, at least not right now, not in his current state. I don't know about you, but like, I just, I just don't see it right now. Yeah. He's definitely not there yet. And I think that's something he can build on. I mean, potentially. I mean, he's in mock drafts first round already here. So we'll see what happens at the end year. But I do think he can build on that. I don't, I do agree though. I'm not sure if I necessarily see that. Obviously, we're not seeing that now. Could he develop that come end of the season potentially or at least start to see it then? I hope so because we are in desperate need of that. We are in desperate need of somebody to take charge out there and to just be, and this can transition right into the Illinois game. We need somebody out there who we can rely on when when we're really in the trenches. When we're struggling for a basket, we need to rely on somebody, whether it's Jesse, whether it's Joe, if he can get back going, whether it's Benny, 
We need somebody out there who it's like, okay, we just need a bucket, get it to this person. They can take charge and then they can do it. And right now we don't really have that guy. And that's scary because we're going up against these teams like Illinois and we're going in these droughts and we're like, we only have 13 buckets this entire game. We need something to happen and we can't get it, which is, uh, that's scary, Zach. That's really, really scary. Yeah, no, it's super scary, and we're searching for for this consistent leader still. And I think the key to that is consistent. We have people game to game come in and lead and do a good job leading by scoring and just you know doing officiating and stuff like that. But consistently, I don't think we have a go to guy. It's sometimes we have somebody, sometimes we don't, and sometimes it changes. So I think that's a problem, and we need to figure out who that leader is and who can be consistent. I do want to give a little shout out to Quadir. While he might not be, you know, this traditional leader we're talking about, I do think his overall presence, whether it's on the bench or in the game, he is just so hyped, so encouraging. Anytime he's on the bench, anytime he's in the game, he is talking. He is just so full of energy, and and I think he's just a fantastic teammate. And I think a lot of people could could take what Quadir does and. It could go a long way. So shout out to Kudir. I think what he's doing is is really impactful. And the coaches do love talking about him. I mean, when he first came in, everybody was talking about, you know, who is Kudir? Like, what are we going to get from him? And the coaches were really high on him. They they said that he was a great teammate, that he was a great presence to be around, that he's got a ton of talent. I don't know if that's really going to translate to a starting spot or if that's going to translate to him being, you know, one of the best players of, of all time But at, at Syracuse. But like, it's always healthy to have that guy on the bench. I think of like an Adrian Autry who was uh, a fun guy to be around. It seemed like, and a fun guy to have on the bench and there in the trenches with you. You need somebody to like lift the spirits in there. It seems like Kudir is like that guy. So yes, shout out to him. We need to start talking about it, Zach, the Illinois game, which made us sad. I think we need to start with what happened at the very end of the game. And that's Benny getting ejected for arguing with the ref. I thought it was a really stupid call. I thought that it was clearly a foul. Obviously, if you're Benny, you can't really talk to the ref. I kind of get the first tech. I do not understand the second tech. I thought it was just an awful call all around. Yeah, it was was definitely a missed call in the foul. Obviously, it's a late game. Game is practically over. They missed the call and just kind of let them play. And obviously, this is very frustrating for not only people watching, but for people playing, even more so for people playing. So Benny's obviously very frustrated, gets fouled, no call. He says something to the ref, <laughs> gets called a tech. He says another thing to the ref and gets a double tech. Is it a little unc- uncalled for? Absolutely. But I do think in general, though, that this amount of frustrating that's, frustration that's boiling over is concerning. Like, I get it. I understand but just the fact that we're at that point is concerning and I'm not sure what the right move is here, but we saw Judah get frustrated. We saw a lot of guys get frustrated tonight and rightfully so, like there's stuff to be frustrated about, but we just can't have that happen. You know, it's kind of funny, Zach. I've been kind of updating my, uh, my page just to see if the, the press, the presser from this past game gets posted this might be the shortest p- 
post-game press conference of Joe, of Jim I've ever seen. Three minutes and 22 seconds. <laughs> whenever, oh, whenever, whenever there's a loss, whenever there's a loss, it's always a short Jim Beheim presser. Should we listen to it, Zach? Like, should we listen to it and then uh, get back to the to the people? Should we pause real quick? <laughs> yeah, should we pause real quick and then just be it's like, it's only three minutes. Yeah, let's just yeah, let's do it real let's do it real quick. All right, let's do it. All right. Well, after listening to that, um, I mean, listen, Jim had mentioned that Benny's a good kid and he just got frustrated, and it's very clear that he just got frustrated. And like you said, Zach, he said something to the ref. You can't do that. I thought the call was awful, but there's a lot of frustration with this team. And it's very, obviously, when a team is frustrated, it's never good. But especially when they are young, I I know Jim probably doesn't believe in the whole confidence thing, as he mentioned with, with, with Joe. But, like, it destroys the team's confidence and it destroys their mojo. You know, you, you you can't be this frustrated this early on because it's just not healthy. These are learning moments. You just got to grow from it. Yeah, and not to harp on leadership again in this episode, but I think this revolts back to, to leadership. I mean, even arguably like the Judah situation of against Bryant, I think if you had a, if you had a firm, active leader, it was clear watching the game, you know, Judah was struggling. He was trying to get through him. He had like two offensive calls against him. He's trying to get in lane, try, trying to get his game going. It was getting frustrated. It was clear that he was getting frustrated. And after that play, you know, they call offensive foul. He's getting tripped up against guys. And, and a leader would come to him, put his put his hand around his shoulder and be like, yo, we're good. And that didn't happen. I mean, obviously like, you know, this is nitpicky, but I do think overall this frustration boils down to a lack of leadership. 28% from the field, 17 turnovers. That's the most since January 5th of this past season against Miami and 20 personal fouls. That is the most since January 11th this past season against Pitt. Which stat, Zach, would you say is the worst for this team after everything that we've gone through this season? Which one are you like, are you serious? Like, why is this still so bad? I think it's got to be... The turnovers. I think turnovers, we got it. There's just times where it seems like we just don't know where guys are going to be and we just th- throw a, a, a mispass. And that's just down to chemistry, not knowing your guys and not knowing, you know, what's going on. I just think there's so many times where, like, people literally just aren't in the places where people are passing. And this is like, that cannot happen. Obviously, you know, there's times where, you know, it's tight. You're trying to make a, a, a sneaky pass turnovers happen, but there's just too many times where just like total miscommunication turnovers happen, and that's just not acceptable. If you're wondering the two people with the most turnovers on our team, that is Judah and Jesse. And Judah especially, you really don't want that with your point guard. And he was making a lot of very odd passes, and some of them were, Benny, you should be here, but you're not here, or somebody moved. But still, they're they're really, really sloppy passes. You saw that a lot with the Bryant game. Joe was doing it. Judah was doing it. So it was just not fun to, to watch because it's like, you guys got to be practicing this stuff. There's no way that you guys aren't. And uh, it was tough. You know, no Q's player scored in double digits tonight. 
I guess if you want to take away some good from this, Jesse was a rebounding monster. He had 17 on the night. It is good to see him getting as many boards as he is, but you know, he's trying to do as much as he can out there. But it's it's just not enough. He's just he's not the leader that we need. And I credit him for what he does because he's a fantastic player, but he's just not doing enough for in filling the, the gaps that we really need him to, that we need the, the team to fill in. Yeah, I mean I think he's certainly doing his job. Bryant hit twenty one rebounds, seventeen tonight against Illinois. So like he's he's definitely owning the boards, the paint. That's his spot. That's I mean I guess no one else is rebounding and he's just getting all the rebounds, but he is doing his job there and huge credit hats off for him to, for doing that. But if you just look for everywhere else, there's, there's just too many holes everywhere else. That's just making things, you know, one, one guy can't, can't win a game. You know, it, it takes everyone and everyone needs to contribute and that's just not happening right now. The other good takeaway is that jam very early on when Judah just yammed at home over the dude. That was pretty fun to watch. I thought it was going to be like a momentum shifter. It ended up not really being that, but it was still, it's still nice to see that from a Q's player. I don't think that we've, I, I don't remember seeing that in a while, uh, a Q's player just yamming at home like that. It is very nice to see some, some emotion from him, but also just to see that athleticism and to see what he's really capable of. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen some nice dunks, but with that type of authority and like this was a poster, defender yeah. in his face, jumping up like this is like picture of the year poster. Like I, we we don't see that type of just authority. Like we've seen some good dunks, but it's been a minute since I've seen any type of poster like that. It's it was quite the sight. I want to move to um, a segment of the show that I am, I really am trying to avoid talking about it, but I think that we really need to talk about it. I've got it bolded here in the notes. Uh, JG3 is shooting 8% the past three games. He is not doing well. This might be the worst stretch of his career. I feel for the kid because it's clear he's a very emotional player. And it's it's clearly getting to his head. In the presser, Jim said if he doesn't have any confidence, then he shouldn't be playing here because he is a senior. But at the end of the day, you you gotta admit that he's he does not have much confidence right now. He's looking at shots that he should be taking but not taking them. And this kid, this kid is a certified shooter, Zach. We all know that. But it's just so rough to see 8% over the past three games. Yeah, I mean, imagine a year ago or two years ago saying Joe Girard passed up a shot. Yeah. You know, like that that would be unheard of. When you think Joe Girard, you're like, oh, like another pull up from, you know, half court. You know, you don't think, oh, he passed up an open look. So he definitely is at a state of low confidence and it's understandable he's going through a really tough time or, or a huge slump. You know, it's supposed to be his huge senior season, and he's just struggling. I don't know. This team, honestly, this team needs to go through like some team building. They need to like, they need to really like come together as a as a people, as a team. Like, forget about basketball for a second. Like, I think we need to like just do some team building, like low key. We need to go on like a corporate retreat 
We need to go. Yeah. Where, where would you choose in Syracuse for the boys to go and just like relax and enjoy themselves and get some team bonding in? Oh, man. I don't know Syracuse that well enough to know, know all the good spots, but I mean... Maybe do some bowling. Maybe uh, I don't know, do something. Maybe go see a movie as a big, big squad. I don't know something fun. Something you can just take your mind off basketball and just remember who you boys are and you know just uh, just have some fun. You know, it'd be kind of nice. Johnny Rockets. That's always a good spot. It's nice. It's nice. Go get some milkshakes. Go grab a burger. Go hang out as a team and just relax because it seems like it's it's very very tense right now. And this team, when they're this young and this early on, should not be playing like this. There's too much talent on this team for the guys to be playing this poorly. If you're Joe, Zach, what do you do? Do you get back to the fundamentals? Do you just keep doing what you're doing? Like, he's a shooter. He's just got to get back into that rhythm. I think it's a mental game at this point. You got to find a way to just mental reset. I mean, I know... You know, the coaching staff, I know G-Max in these years saying, you are a certified shooter. You are one of the best shooter, three-point shooters to ever come through Syracuse. So I know he's, you know, he's having support, but just within his own mind, like we've already mentioned, he's a very emotional guy. So it's definitely tough for him to get through this, but somehow, some way he's got to find, you know, his stride again. And he will, I mean, we do have Notre Dame coming up, which is going to be another tough matchup, but hopefully one of the lesser games coming up, he can find his stride again and build that confidence back up again. I want to talk to the fans who post on, like who comment on Twitter and comment on Instagram that say JG3 needs to be benched, that he needs to be cut, that he looks like he doesn't care out there. I want to talk to all of you for a second, and maybe you listen, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm just like shouting into the void, but how unhealthy is that? And how fake is that, that you're not cheering on this kid who clearly is in just a scoring slump? He doesn't need your criticism. He doesn't need you to be like, oh, this guy needs to be cut. Like, Joe has so much talent, and listen... Both Zach and I have been very critical of of Joe in the past. I'm not saying that he's been perfect. I'm not saying that his career has been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But he has way too much talent to even be sat on the bench and not be started on this team. To say that he doesn't look like he cares or anything like that, this guy's an emotional player. And... It's clear that he it's getting to him. So, I don't know. It always bothers me whenever these fans just, you know, keyboard warriors try and post that, oh, Joe, Joe doesn't care at all. Like, it's just not a good assessment. It's not a good take when clearly he does. And clearly he has a lot more talent than, than what you think he has. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to be frustrated. You, there's reasons to be frustrated. But you can't go from, you know, celebrating Judah's poster dunk to then five seconds later, cut Joe. Like, that's not what fandom is. That's not what being a fan is. You know, obviously, you're here to support the team. And like we've like like Cam just said, like, we've been critical of Joe. Like, it's okay to be critical. It's okay to, you know, critique people. But to that extent, is this silly 
And if you're doing that to that extent, then you're just not a fan. It's no. simple as that. Yeah, you're clearly not. And as Zach and I always say, fake fans, they're the worst fans, man. Fake fans, uh, they exist in any sort of fandom. And to to basically be celebrating a win and then like if a team, if your team goes on like a two game, three game losing streak to then be like, oh, we need to fire our coach. That's cringe. That's really cringe for for you to be doing that. And I don't know. It's just like go, I don't know, go root for Duke or something like that. Go be go be fake over there because like who cares about Duke? Well, a lot of people care about Duke, unfortunately. But um, anyways, Zach, no one no one here cares about Duke. Yeah, nobody that's for sure. That's true. Nobody here cares about Duke. I do want to talk about um something that was brought up in the broadcast and something that you had talked about a little bit. Um, man to man is kind of kind of gone by the wayside. It's just kind of been nothing but 2-3 since Colgate loss. What's up with that? Like, are you missing man-to-man? Are you thinking that it'll come back here at some point? What are you thinking about it? I mean, it seems like the man-to-man experiment is over. We we tried it. Jim, Jim put it to the test, and it seems like we need to just go with our bread and butter 2-3 zone. That's what we know. That's what this program knows. That's what this city of Syracuse. That's what the that's what the entire country knows Syracuse as. So I I think, I mean, there is a world where Syracuse can go man to man, but for whatever reason, it wasn't clicking early, and the two three zone is starting to click. You know, Jim, you know, strikes again with a new little wrinkle in the zone, which was cool to see, and I do think it was pretty effective at times, especially. You know, in the first half, there held up pretty well, all things considering. So, I think two three is uh, you know, our namesake two three podcast. We still got some time left, so that's good news for us. I'm happy that our namesake is safe for now. I did get a little bit scared. It didn't really seem like he would. I don't know. It, it seemed like he was committed to it. That Jim was committed to it to make it work. But after a while, like Jim had said, it, it's, it takes a lot more to learn man-to-man and to learn the intricacies of man-to-man than it does the 2-3. Obviously, the 2-3 has been Jim's bread and butter for, for you know, 200 years or however long he's been coaching. <laughs> but, you know, to, to make the switch to man-to-man for the players, for the coaching staff, it's just a lot. And I don't know how much they were putting into it in the preseason. It seemed like quite a bit, but for right now... It's just going to be two, three here on out. That means that our namesake is good. I'm happy with it. It seems like uh, I would like to have some sort of variation against the familiar foes in the ACC just to make it, you know, just to kind of spice things up a little bit. I don't know about you, but I think that that would be kind of nice. Yeah, I and mean, I think we kind of saw this wrinkle. Too. I mean, the wings extended on the shooters and then the guards kind of sunk into the paint a bit. That was like a new look, and that wasn't the normal rotation. Like, I mean, arguably, you could argue that's even like a slightly different formation. I think it's mainly just different rotations there, but that was that was effective. That was a different look. I was like trying to figure out exactly what was going on, but you know, Jim's always got something up his sleeve, and it's exciting to see what Jim can draw up. I don't know, like last year when they played Duke, when Buddy got uh, ex, uh what is it called? Buddy got uh expelled no not suspended when buddy got expended against duke last year and he drew up like the the little triangle defense that mm-hmm. was pretty cool so I, I like what jim can can come up with and we'll see what else he can come up throughout this year look jim's got a good basketball mind he knows what well hopefully he knows what he's doing 
And when it comes to this young group, there needs to be some form of a leader out there. And I think that that is probably the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from these past three games. And honestly, from the past season, because even when we were winning, like, I don't know about you, but I, I was not noticing a leader out there. It still seemed like we were a really good team, but we didn't have our general out there. We thought it was going to be Cy. It seems like it's not really Cy right now. There's no vocal leader right now. We're really missing that. Yeah, no, I agree. And just because you're playing well, just because like, you know, you're, you're scoring a lot of points and you're doing your job. And, you know, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be a leader, but doesn't mean you're leading. Like, you know, JG3 scores 31. Look at the senior leadership. But it's like, that's that's a good way to show leadership. But just because you're scoring a lot, doing a lot, isn't all that entails leadership. That is a part of leadership, but I think there's a lot of other aspects too. I'm going to ask you one last question before we move on to a little preview of the Notre Dame game. This might be a little bit tough, but out of the past couple of games, who would you say is the best candidate to be the leader on the court? I mean, that's so tough because it has to be someone that is on the court at all times who starts and is available. It's tough. I really don't know. There, there's signs where, like, you know, at the end of the game, Judah kind of stopped Benny from, like, jawing at the ref a little bit. So there's a little bit of, like, you know, some leadership there. But also there's times when, when Judah needs leadership too because he's getting frustrated. And, you know, there honestly, not to backtrack too much, but there were times where, like, Judah was getting super frustrated. And I, I was surprised Jim didn't have him take a rest. But. I don't know. I, I I don't know where where a leader is right now. Honestly, like size kind of been my go-to, but he just he's not starting. He doesn't get enough minutes overall to to be that true glue leadership guy. I'm gonna throw out, and I'm not saying this because he has low confidence or because it was the guy that we talked about earlier. I I do have a couple of reasons for this. I'm gonna say the best candidate for the leadership position. And this is a really big ask for him. I think it's I think it's JG three. I think that when JG three is hot, he makes everybody around him feel it, and you don't see it that often. You saw it a couple times last year, and maybe a time or two this year. But when when JG three is really going, when he is clicking on all cylinders. It's a different kind of intensity. Now, I don't know if he has it in him, and I don't know if he can really show it in the position that he's in because he's in the the two and he's not handling the ball as much. But if there's ever a time when he needs to really step it up and be that guy, then I don't mean to put the spotlight on him too much, but I think that JG3 is in a really good position right now to really lead this team in a way that he can do. He's not going to be very vocal. He's not going to be the guy that's like out there screaming all the time. But if he can just show by example, I think that that's enough to lead this this young group right now. Yeah, I like it. I mean, defensively, I'm, I'm going to put the leadership to, to Jesse. I think he's doing a good job with it, anchoring that zone, owning the paint, getting all those boards. You know, being the general back there, making sure everyone knows what's going on. I think 
Jesse could be a good defensive leadership. And then I think JG3 could, could be a good off- offensive leader. We'll split it up. We'll do a little co-cap in there. I mean, this team needs it. They just need anybody out there to to really lead it at this point. If you're Jesse, please stay out of foul trouble. Like, don't don't keep doing this. I don't know why he keeps doing this. Jim doesn't really know why he keeps doing this. It's very annoying, though. Like, you just kind of see... And they're really early fouls. They're really early and they're very silly. So, like, after the first 10 minutes, he's already got two fouls on him. And you need Munir Hima to come in, which he does a great job. But, you know, Jesse's got way too much talent to be sitting on the bench. Let's look ahead to this Notre Dame game. It's Saturday, December 3rd. It's a noon game on ESPN, and it's at Notre Dame. And they are 5-1 and one on the year. Our first ACC matchup game, Zach, uh, it's going to be tough, especially coming off of this Illinois loss. But uh, if there's any ever time to turn it up, I guess it's it's right now. Yeah, I mean, we're coming. In, we're going to go into that game three and four. It'd be nice to get that one and zero start to the conference play. That'd be a beautiful way to kind of get our feet back on track and feel good about the program and our trajectory. So hopefully, we're able to find a way to get on the road and beat Notre Dame. They haven't had like a huge tough schedule, so it's kind of hard to gauge where Notre Dame is at, but I mean, this is ACC foe, so we know it'll be competitive. They're coming off of a St. Bonaventure loss, which the Bonnies are pretty good this year, but they do play Michigan State next. It's a primetime game um, that is going to be a little bit later today, so I guess look out for that. But are we really ready right now, Zach, for ACC competition? Like, are we really feeling it right now? If ACC play was starting tomorrow, as in like the actual gauntlet gauntlet of ACC play, I would say absolutely not. But at least it's one game. We can we we'll see what happens, which obviously kind of shows where my confidence level is, but. I'm thankful it's just one game. Then we can come back to Q's and kind of reset. But I'm just thankful it's one game. After the Notre Dame game, we have six home games, four of which are out of conference. Oakland, Georgetown, Monmouth, and Cornell. The best of which is Cornell. And they're not too bad. I think that they're 5-1 and one this year. But you got teams like Oakland and Monmouth who are really really bad I don't think Monmouth even has a win this year and then Georgetown which is going to be a big game it should be a primetime game actually it's going to be on ABC so that's going to be fun to watch but you know with these games they're they used to be tune-up games but now it's like really crunch time and try to figure out what the heck is going on with this team and figure out who's going to be the leader when we get into the ACC gauntlet because after that That's when it turns up. You got Pittsburgh, you got Boston College, Louisville. It just starts at that point. That's when the season really begins, and that's when people are really going to be paying attention. So if you're Q's, man, you got to get it going, especially now or especially in these next four games because uh, there's definitely some tough games ahead. In this Notre Dame game, who are you thinking needs to have the best game? I want to see JG3 get back on track. I think... He's the most important key to our team for success. And without him, we, we've shown that we've really struggled. So I think JG3 getting back on track. I mean, it doesn't have to be a 31-point game, but we just need to see him find the back of the rim and just build some confidence. 
My pick was going to be JG3-2, but I think somebody else that needs to have a good game is Judah. He's been not the best the past two games, getting thrown out the first game, and then this one having 34 minutes and nine points and four turnovers, four fouls. That's not what you need out of your, your point guard. I would think that he should have hopefully a better game. He was three for 16 from the field. And I I wanted to ask you this a little bit earlier, and I kind of honestly forgot, but do you think that he's taking too many shots? Do you think that he's kind of like ball hogging a little bit? Sometimes it feels like that. I mean, I definitely appreciate, you know, the the, the, the aggressive nature that he has and just the e- eager to, to score. And he's, he's, he's trying again, trying again, driving again, driving again, which I appreciate. But sometimes when he's struggling, and there has been games where he struggled to, to finish, like he's getting in the lane, getting by his defender, having, you know, looks that he has and he makes in other games, but for whatever reason, he's just not finishing. And when he has these games and he just keeps doing that, it often hurts us more than it helps us. So I, I just think overall he, he needs to work on his vision because that'll help him look for other people more rather than just always scoring. Because there, there's a lot of times where he's 100% like, I'm scoring here or I'm going to like shoot here. Like He's not even thinking about a pass or what could develop when he drives. So I think he needs to get better at that. And, But to answer your question, I think, yes. There, there's definitely times where I feel that. I felt like that was probably the worst case or it, it, the worst case that you've seen with this Illinois game. I think that he was taking a couple shots and a couple drives where I'm like, you don't really need to be doing that. You need to be passing the ball around. You could dish it out to, to, to Jesse or whoever's down low. Cause Jesse was doing a pretty good job anchoring down low. He was, he had a pretty good matchup and it seemed like he was taking advantage of it when he could. Sometimes he wasn't finishing underneath, which was a little scary, but you got to give him those looks if he has that matchup because they weren't, they weren't really beating Jesse, if that makes sense. They were just, he was missing it, if that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, no, that checks out. I think, honestly, Jesse, I mean, even though he fell out and everything, I think he was, I mean, obviously limited because of foul trouble throughout the entire game, but even with that, I think he was the most consistent factor on our entire team. Everyone else really struggled. Obviously, Jesse didn't have quite the offensive performance that you know we're, we're getting used to with him. But defensively and with the way he was rebounding, he was the only consistent factor on our team for the game. As he should be. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it seems like the most consistent player right now is is Jesse at this point. Yeah. The one that you're going to look to for, for the best game. And if Jesse's not having a good game, obviously Manir Hima can come in. But um, it's definitely going to be jesse i think it used to be joe but now he's become so hot and cold that you can't really count on that too much which is good it's glad that i'm glad that jesse is not his european self (laughs) and he's the the self that uh jim approves of but um by no means is he you know gonna solve all the issues that that cuse has because it seems like for once rebounding isn't necessarily our issue it's it's the offense, it's a, it's a lot more stuff than just simply something that uh, that Jesse can fix. So, Saturday, Notre Dame game, it's going to be very big. Um, you'll hear from us 
soon after that Notre Dame game, I promise we will not have this much of a gap again. Um, and then after that, like we said, it's going to be an out of conference uh, fest for, you know, next four games, next couple of weeks after that. It's going to be a time when Cuse is going to be learning a lot about itself. We're going to be learning who is, you know, who, who's got the, who's got what it takes to really wear that, uh, that Cuse jersey and, and wear it proud. So it's going to be a couple of interesting episodes after this. Um, as always, follow us on social media at the 2-3 podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. And until you hear from us again, we will talk to you soon. Let's go Cuse.